The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. Hey, good morning, ACF Church. How are you guys doing today? Doing good? We're glad to see you. It's a beautiful day in Alaska. It's a beautiful sun. I hope you get out to enjoy that today. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here and just excited to be with you. If you're new to ACF, we're so glad that you're spending the morning with us. Um, just wanted to give you a couple updates about some things that have gone on. Um, last week, we opened up this conversation of uh, the topic of depression, and we have just heard of a lot of amazing conversations happening in following up after that uh, in life groups and in your homes, and so I'm just thankful for that opportunity, and so I just encourage you, continue to keep this as an ongoing discussion in your houses, uh, at your workplaces, of just people being able to share their emotional health uh, with each other. And so we just want to create safe spaces for that uh, this month, especially in Alaska. Uh, although it's very bright outside, it is a dark month uh, for a lot of people. And so we want, to, we want to keep that conversation going. We also, last week, we launched something called the ACF Facelift, which I don't know if you heard about that, but just take a, look, take a second and look down at the ground real quick. Just, I just want, to, want you to look at the, the beauty that is our carpet. Um, <laughs> So this place is like 30-something years old. We love our building. We're so grateful for this facility. We're right on the corner of the, this main intersection in Eagle River. And it's just been a great tool for ministry. You know, Easter, we had 35 people get baptized. We've just seen a lot of amazing things happen. God is changing lives uh, in this place through the ministry that's happening here. So... Uh, we get the opportunity to care for this building. Um, one of the issues is the carpet is actually kind of pulling up in some places. It can't be steam cleaned anymore. This used to be, if you didn't know, a Catholic church. And um, the stage was here at all kinds of different levels. There was this wooden choir loft. You guys were in the choir loft over there. And we tore that up, and there's like carpet and a kind of a tripping hazard over there. And so anyway, it's gotten to the point where we need to replace it. And it's pretty expensive, as you can imagine, to replace all of this with industrial use carpet. And so uh, we need to raise $30,000, which may sound like a lot of money for carpet, but it's actually a really good deal. Uh, We got a great deal from a local carpet company to order it. They're just waiting on us to say go. And so we just encourage you to go home today and just spend a couple minutes thinking and praying, maybe talk as a couple if you're married, um, and just consider being a part of the ACF facelift. We're going to paint the outside. Um, I don't know if you love the blue, but the blue is going away. So, woohoo! A little booze in the room, really. Smurf blue. You can paint your house with that color any day. Um, so we're just going to do some work to this place. But uh, if you would consider being a part of that, I think as of yesterday, we had raised $1,100 so far, which, praise God, I think that's a great start. We just need one of you to write us a check for $29,000 this morning. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding at all. No. Just... We will take uh, any form of payment possible. So, uh, this and remember, this is above and beyond your tithes and offerings. One of our priorities is uh, to continue doing ministry. We don't want to um, we don't want to stop doing the ministry that we're doing. But one thing that's maybe a shift in a lot of people's minds is to see this place not as just a building, but this is an opportunity 
to share Jesus with people. And we get to use it every week. And so we get to take care of it. Uh, it's just kind of part of owning a facility. So I just ask you to be a part of that and encourage you to jump in there. Um, James chapter 4. Would you open to James chapter 4? We are continuing on in our Anchored Soul series as we talk about how Jesus anchors our souls to eternity. And uh, today, we're opening up a conversation about the will of God, which should be very simple to talk about. (laughs) This is going to be difficult. There's a lot to this. There's a lot of facets to this conversation. But James chapter 4, 13 is where we're going to launch from. It says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there in trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So I was able to do some traveling this week. Pastor Josh and I, we went down to Portland and we went to a conference, our, our district conference that we go to with a bunch of other pastors. And it's just a great time to reconnect. So I booked the Red Eye flight, which is the worst flight in the world out of Alaska. And, and I think in my head, I think I'm, I'm just going to sleep on the flight. You know, I'll just sleep on the plane. I'll get there and it'll be great. I don't have to waste a day. So we fly into Portland. We get there 530 in the morning. The sun's just coming up and I have slept like 10 minutes on the airplane. My day is just ruined. And, and so then it's this, this, uh, decision of do I, do I take a nap and try to, try to sleep so that I can enjoy the day? Do I just take a couple cup, cups of coffee and, you know, try to gut it out? What do I do? So we go to the hotel room and I'm staring at the bed. And it's, it's just, it's beautiful. It's all made and ready to go. And so I jump in and I lay there and I close my eyes and I can't sleep. I just can't sleep. There's something in me that rejects this idea of taking a nap. Did you guys have to take naps as kids? You know, like we all had to take naps. And I think I was maybe scarred by my parents. And so I was, I was forced to take these naps. And now I just, I hate the idea that I'm sleeping and then I'm missing out on something. You know, I mean, some, this is a whole world out in front of us. And here I am sleeping, wasting away my day. And I could be enjoying myself. What are other people doing? You know, what's going on around me that I'm missing out on? And so to this day, I cannot take a nap. I can't stand taking naps. I just cannot sleep during the day. Some of you are like, that is ridiculous. I can sleep right now. Give me two minutes. In the middle of your sermon, I will be out. So I struggle with this, um, but I think there's this idea of like, we don't want to miss out on things. And companies, they capitalize on this whole idea. My wife's got this, uh, this coupon that gets sent in the mail where you find out about these different deals that are going on. It'll be like auto start, normally $763. Today, $199, you know. And it'll say in bold, bold letters underneath that, it'll say 653 sold so far which makes you just kind of fill with anxiety, right? You're thinking, 653 people, they've, they've already enjoyed this. They've already gotten this great deal. What if I don't get it? I better get in on it. And it says, limited time only, right? Because if they said it was going to last forever, you'd be like, ah, I'll, I'll deal with that later. I'll, I'll get that deal sometime later. But you're like, oh, it's a limited time. I don't want to miss out on it. 653 people have already gotten the deal. I have to get the deal. And so they, they capitalize on this desire to not miss out on opportunity. So here's what I think. I think that we as people have this, this desire within us not to waste our lives. I think it's a good thing. We don't want to waste our lives. We want to use our lives uh, for a greater purpose. We want to know that the day that we die, we have left a mark on this world and we have done things that matter. But we have this fear of missing out. 
This fear of, of not living a fulfilling life. And so we're going to talk today about the will of God. Because I think what this causes us to do is to look at God and go, what do I do? What do you want me to do? And you start asking questions. Where do I go to school? Where should I go to work? What kind of family should I, I have? Should I have a lot of kids? Just a couple kids, you know? Uh, where do I live? Do I need to live in Alaska? Do I need to make a move? And you start wondering, what is going to help us to live the most fulfilling life? And what if you miss it? How will you know? So it's a hard conversation. Let's open this up, and we're just going to pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your word to us. We just ask that you'd be here with us as we open up your word. God, we don't want to waste our time. We really want to press into you today. I pray for, um, for all of those that are here that are distracted, that have a lot going on in their minds, that you'd help us to focus on you. God, that you speak to us about your will. And Father, that we could leave here walking in freedom and in boldness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you can kind of hang out in James chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to jump around a little bit before we get back to there. Uh, we're going to kind of nick the surface of this huge topic about the will of God. And how does Jesus anchor our souls when it comes to understanding God's will? And it starts with this understanding as believers in Jesus and as, as Christians that God is all-powerful. That we serve this God that oversees the world, created the world. He is, he is omnipotent is the term for it. He is all-powerful in this world. And so as we look at him, we say, okay, he must have a will a certain desire in this world. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split this out into three different kinds of will just to start to create a framework for understanding the will of God. And the first one is this, God's will of decree. His will of decree. When God decrees something, when he says something is, it is. God's will of decree is how things are in this world. We see this in the creation story. God simply speaks. And when he speaks, the world is created. When he speaks, the land is separated from the water. When he speaks, the animals are created. Humanity comes into creation through Adam. Woman is created. When God speaks, whatever he speaks is. And so this is this idea of when God decrees something, it's going to happen. When God says, this is my, this is my decreed will, there's nothing stopping it. If, if, if God decrees rain in Alaska, it's going to rain in Alaska. If he decrees sunshine in Alaska, there's going to be sunshine in Alaska. We even see this in salvation. This idea that, that God draws us. It says in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Which this is reassuring. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is reassuring because you didn't do it. You didn't save yourself. If there's part of you that thinks, yeah, I, I figured God out to the point that now I'm a disciple of Jesus. Or, you know, I, I conjured up the strength to follow Jesus. This scripture says literally the desire itself to walk in the footsteps of Jesus comes from God himself. You didn't do it. You didn't save yourself. It's all God all the time, which is awesome. It's, it frees us up. So God is all-knowing. He, he knows everything that's going on. It all, it all passes through his hands. We read in Matthew 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Jesus is reminding them, God is all-powerful. He sees everything that's going on. Even a sparrow falling to the ground, God knows about. And scripture talks about even knowing the, the hairs on your head. 
That's a lot of hairs, right? God knows all the hairs on all of your heads, and he knew it before time began. That's a powerful God. So this is the God that we worship, this all-powerful God. The next will is the will of desire. If the, if the will of decree is how things are, then the will of desire is how things ought to be. This is the will of desire. And this is where it starts getting a little more interesting in this conversation. We've got this sovereign, all-powerful God. And then we've got the will of desire. And one thing we know as we look at the world is that things are not how they ought to be. That's one thing. As I look at my life, I know things aren't how they ought to be. You guys watch the news, the earthquake in Nepal? There's like 2,000 people dead, more dying. Uh, the, the death count is growing. People are suffering. Families are broken. I mean, you can't read about that and not wonder, how does this all work together with the will of God? And start to wonder, who is this God? And, and I think there's something in our souls as human beings that says, that's not how it was supposed to be. This isn't what was supposed to happen. I mean, we even look back at creation. We see this perfect union between man and woman and God. And then in a moment of sin, this whole narrative was changed. The story of, of Jesus uh, and of God and humanity was, was changed by sin of Adam and of Eve. And since then, there's been this distorted relationship. And the world has changed completely from the ground up. It says in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So this passage draws out this tension that we see between God's sovereign will, his will of decree, the things he causes things to happen, and then his will of desire. And he's saying right here in this passage, listen, there are things that are going to happen in this world that are not God's will. These come from the world. There are things that he does not want to happen, things that are not God's desire for us. And then he says, and this world is passing away. All of this one day will change. If you read the end of the book, you see that all of this will change and, and the whole world will be reconciled to God. There'll be this new heaven and this new earth in the end. And so that's where the world is going, but right now it's, it's not even close. And things are, things are a mess. See, God's decree, it can't be stopped, but God's desires can be ignored. And we see this all the time. I see this in my life. I know what God has desired of me. I can read his word, and he tells me what he wants from me. I have this sense in my heart of what is right and what is wrong, and yet I ignore those desires, and we see this in the world around us. How do you know the, the desires of God? You've got to read your Bible. That's the first place you start. You've got to open up that book. If you're wondering about the will of God, you've got to go to the word. And you're going to struggle with the will of God if you don't know the word of God. So tweet that. There you go. Tweet that out. If, if you struggle reading God's word, you're going to struggle knowing what his will is for your life. You're going to wonder a lot. We have to be people in the word. And so there's this tension here. There's a tension between God's sovereign will and then this idea that we have a choice to make 
in the world around us. God desires one thing, and yet we make different decisions. And so some people would go all the way to one direction and say, no, everything happens at the hand of God. Every single thing. And then others would go the other direction and say, no, man has total responsibility. It's all about what we choose or don't choose. And the thing is that you read God's word, and we don't have time to dig in as much as I'd love to, but the Bible affirms both of those ideas. The Bible affirms this idea of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. We see both of those, and we've got to hold those in tension. And the third kind of will is the will of direction. The will of direction. If you've got God's will of decree, which is how things are, God's will of desire, which is how things should be or ought to be, then his will of direction is how God wants you to live out his desires in this world. It's how he's calling you to live as a follower of Jesus. In John 14, 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. And so as Christians, we believe what we have is the Spirit of God living in us. This is the third person of the Trinity. He lives inside of us, drawing out truth, helping illuminate God's word to us, convicting us of sin. And he's guiding us through this life. So it looks kind of like this. It looks kind of like this. If, so I'm a dad. I've got three kids and I give them a bedroom, which is nice because I'm a, I'm a dad. I want them to have a nice place to sleep. And so I, I, I give them a bedroom and, and I decide what the house looks like, what the bedroom looks like. It's going to be 12 feet by 12 feet. It's going to have paint on the walls. It's going to have a window. It's going to have a bed in the room. It's going to have some toys in the room. And so, so I decide all of that. It's kind of like God's decree. I have chosen the room for you. Here's your environment. Here's all that's going on in there. Then I'm going to sit down with them and say, here's what you do in your room. You have fun with your toys, but you put them away. You, you, you sleep in the bed, but you make the bed, you know? You enjoy the paint on the walls, but you don't pound holes in the walls. You know, there's, there's rules as a father in the house. And so that's kind of like my will of desire. I've laid that out before them. And then at some point, I might come in and say, all right, clean this place up. You know, uh, put that away. Um, I want the walls to be a different color. You know, I want you to change something about this. I want you to do something different in this room. So there are, there are points when I speak into what happens in that room. And that's, that's like God's will of desire. And, and so that's just a way to kind of see all of this. But it brings out this question that I think all of us at some point or another have on our, on our hearts, which is, does God have some kind of secret will of direction that he expects us to figure out before we do anything? You know, is God kind of hiding this beautiful plan for your life over here? And he's like, I don't know if you're going to find it, but here it is. Find me. You know, it's like hide and seek with God. I'm over here. Now I'm over here. You know, and we're like, God, just come on. Tell me where to go. Tell me what to do. Is that how we're supposed to live? Because I think there's a lot of people that end up sort of in gridlock. You know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, I just don't even know what to do in my day. If God is this, this sovereign God and everything's working out for him and there's, there's this way to live in his will and outside of his will, what if, I, what if I don't choose the right thing? What if I go to the wrong place for breakfast? What if I park in the wrong parking spot? You know, what, 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 if, what if I say the wrong thing to someone, you know? And I, we start to worry and live in fear. And so I hope that we can get somewhere this morning and understand that there is freedom in understanding the will of God. I found this quote uh, out of a book 
this week called The Will of God as a Way of Life by Gerald Sitzer. And it says this, Conventional understanding of God's will defines it as a specific pathway you would follow into the future. God knows what this pathway is, and he has laid it out for us to follow. Our responsibility is to discover this pathway, God's plan for our lives. We must discover which of the many pathways we could follow is the one we should follow, the one God has planned for us. If and when we make the right choice, we will receive his favor, fulfill our divine destiny, and succeed in life. Yay! If we choose rightly, we will experience his blessing and achieve success and happiness. But if we choose wrongly, we may lose our way, miss God's will for our lives, and remain lost forever in an incomprehensible maze. It's kind of scary stuff, right? If you view the will of God this way, it's going to be scary. You're going to live in fear. You're going to wonder what is right and what is wrong. Which brings us kind of to the next question. Does God really get what he desires? So like, do I have any decision in this whole topic? Do I have any influence in all of this? Or is God just going to do what he's going to do? So we throw around things like God is in control. Christians say this a lot. God is in control. God is sovereign. You know, a lot of times Christians will say this in response to something bad, right? We'll say, sure, there's this, there's this quake in Nepal and all these people are dead, but God is in control. And I just, I wonder if our language is shaping our theology a little bit. And I wonder if, if that language is, is painting a picture of God that, that isn't the God that we see in the self-sacrificial love of Jesus. I wonder if we're not really seeing who God is. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Does your picture of God through the lens of the will of God look like Jesus? And if it doesn't, we have to, we have to deal with that theology because you're forced to go, well, where was God in this then? Where was God in my miscarriage? Where was God in the accident? Where was God in the hurricane? What is going on here? Who is this God? And I, I actually had a, a friend of mine at, at church. She came up to me once and she said, and she had this whole story that I knew of, of abuse as a child. She'd gone through some really horrible, horrible things. And God had worked through her life. She had experienced peace and forgiveness and redemption. And she, was, she, she had come a long ways from this broken, broken story. And I remember her saying to me, she said, she said Brian, I just, there, there's so much freedom in my life. And I just see what has gone on. And I, I look back at my story and I see how God has used this broken situation to bring glory to him. And I can see, I can see that that situation was God's will for my life. And I just wanted to shake her and say, no, it wasn't. Praise God that there's redemption. Praise God that God redeems our broken decisions and the broken decisions that are made all around us. And he's constantly doing this. But I just wanted to say, no, that is not our God. He did not plan for that. He did not create that situation. Don't mistake God's delivery for his desires. Just because God delivers you and he redeems a situation, it doesn't mean he affirms a situation. Do you get the difference? It's really important to understand that because before you know it, God is desiring a lot of really horrible things in your life. And I could finally say, I guess if I walk that whole logic path, that God desires there to be sin in my life. And the bad choices that I have made, God does not desire that. We read of Jesus, who is, again, the picture of God, weeping over Jerusalem's rejection. In Matthew 23, it says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. 
How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. I think this is a beautiful picture of God through Jesus. He's weeping over the rejection, frustrated that that Jerusalem, which should be the city of peace, is not a place of peace, but a place of turmoil and rejection of God himself. And he's saying, listen, I just, I love you. I just, I wish that I could be like a, like a mother hen gathering her children underneath her wings. I wish I could just, I could just pull you close and I could just keep you safe from all of your decisions. But he's saying that's not, that's not the system that we have here. I have to allow you to make the choices that you're going to make in this world and watch this go down. We read of the Pharisees in Luke 7.30, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Again, we see this human responsibility. We see the desire of God for redemption, the desire of God for reconciliation between he and the world, he and the people, and yet we choose to reject him. This is the story of humanity. This is this big story that we're in the middle of. So we hold in tension this idea of sovereignty and human responsibility. And if you remove either one of them, you end up with a pretty skewed picture of God. So, so try to hold those in tension. Understand God loves you and is giving you a choice. Understand that God is all-powerful and everything that happens in this world passes through his hands. At any moment, God can, God can reach into your situation and he can change things and he can work miracles. And I believe that every day. And I believe that God does have a divine plan for our lives and he's working through all of that. But I also believe that he's given us a choice. And we all have a choice here today. So I was asking myself as I was preparing for this, why does this matter so much? Why do people always ask this? There, if you go to a, like a Christian bookstore, there are, there are pages and pages, hundreds and hundreds of books devoted to discerning God's will for your life. So clearly there's a, there's a market for this. People want to know, what is God's will for my life? I think it's this. I think we all want fulfillment. We all want fulfillment. Even if you aren't a follower of Jesus, there may be a point where you look up at the sky and go, what are you doing? How do I do this better? What do you want from me? How do I live a life that matters? I think we all have this in our hearts. Every person, we want, we want fulfillment. We want fulfilling in a, a fulfilling marriage, right? We want fulfilling uh, families. We want a fulfilling job with a boss that affirms us. We all want fulfillment in our lives. But what if fulfillment didn't come from something you did, but from something that you are? What if it was less about your actions? What if it was less about what you earned and more about something that God says about you? So open back up to James 4, 13 is where we're going we're gonna to go unpack that passage a little bit. So James is speaking to this divided church, this group of people who want to advance their own agendas instead of God's agenda. And so he's coming down. I love the book of James. Just read through the whole book, uh, maybe this weekend. You've only got a few hours, but it's pretty quick. It's a quick read, but it's a challenging, challenging book. So he says this in verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, for what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So is anybody a planner in the room? Who's the planner? Be honest. Planners, raise your hands. 
Okay, we've got some planners. I like plans. Plans are good, but plans change, right? So if you're a planner, when plans change, how how do you do with that? It's frustrating, right? It just drives you crazy. You're like, no, this was the plan. This is what we're going to do. We said we were going to go to Taco Bell. We're going to Taco Bell. No, there's no changing. You know, this, this throws my, I, I had a plan for where we're going after Taco Bell. We're going to go next door. We're going to do this. You know, I know where I was going to sit when I got to Taco Bell. I've got a plan. And so when you change my plans, it frustrates me like crazy. So there is a, there is a way to make plans, to be diligent, to dream in this world, and to, and to still submit that to God. To hold those plans with open hands. So now this is what I'm planning on doing. Any minute, God could change that. And I'm okay with that. So Paul, he brings their eyes up off of their situation. And he says this. He says, don't count on your time. Your time is passing away. Man, life's going faster. Isn't it? Man, it's just crazy. My kids are coming up in the end of a school year. I just keep feeling older. And it's just weird how that works. But time is passing by. We are getting older It's going away. You can't depend on it. Don't depend on your job. It could go away. Don't count on your possessions because one day those will be someone else's possessions. Don't count on your career. Don't count on anything else. It can soon change. And then he says this, what is your life? What is your life? He says, you are like a vapor. How encouraging is that? You're like a vapor. He says, you are here today and gone tomorrow. You're like a mist, which that's, that's either really, really freeing for you today or really depressing. To realize that you are nothing but a vapor here today. And I've been thinking about this a lot as I've stepped into this role as senior pastor here and, and uh, just wrestled with my own struggles and my own internal journey. And I've just been thinking, you know, it's like, let's say that I leave church today and I get in my car and I just slump over the steering wheel, crash into a bridge, and I'm done. You know, that's it. Pastor Brian, dead. Done. And I was thinking about that. And I'm like, what would happen next Sunday? You know what you guys would do? You would show up here, and you would be a little sad. Where's Brian? He's dead. <laughs> I hope there'd be a couple tears, maybe. <laughs> Somebody throw me a bone. Just a couple tears. I'll be watching. And... And then you know what's going to happen next week? You're going to come back to church and you're going to sing songs about Jesus and somebody's going to get up here and preach and probably do a great job. And you know what's going to happen the next week? You're going to come to church and you're going to sing some songs. Somebody's going to get up and talk about Jesus. You know, this, is a, this is a really important realization that, that we are just a mist. We're like here today and gone tomorrow. And it changes and reframes the way that we view the will of God. It changes how we ask these questions and why we ask these questions. And then he says this. He says, come to it this way, if the Lord wills. That's how you should make your plans. If the Lord wills. Now, you don't have to say this all the time. I know people who do this. You know, I'm going to McDonald's if the Lord wills, you know. God willing. God willing, going to McDonald's. God willing, I'm going to leave church today. God willing, I'm driving home. I mean, it's, we could say this a lot. I'll assume that it's implied with you, but you don't have to say it all the time. But this is, a, this is a mindset of the will of God, that if the Lord wills, then I will do this. Trusting that eternity is coming, and only those who submit to God's will are ready to face it. And we want to be people who submit to the will of God. So I have written out God's will for your, your life. 
So I um, hope this is helpful. Uh, I figured it all out. God's will is this, for you and for me, to seek the kingdom, to listen for his direction, and take responsibility for our actions. It's a short list, and it's that simple. I really think it is. I really think it's so much more simple than we make it. So let's talk about seeking the kingdom. Matthew six thirty three, Jesus says this, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just let that rest on you for a second. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So he's talking about the kingdom of God, this future and current reality that's also in tension, this idea that Jesus came, conquered sin and death, and then he has won the war, and yet there's still a lot of little battles to fight until the one day that God returns and he, he builds this new heaven and this new earth and everything is reconciled to himself. And he says, you know what? You need to seek that first. That's what you need to be about. When you're wondering, what do I do with my day? What do I do with my life? How do I pick a school? You know, what's next for me? That's what you need to do. Seek first the kingdom of God. Whenever you love someone with unconditional love, what you preach to them is the kingdom of God. Whenever you offer forgiveness to someone who doesn't deserve it, you preach to them the kingdom of God. You preach this unconditional love, this unconditional forgiveness that one day we will see in fullness in Christ, those who follow Jesus. And so that's what we need to be about, is sharing the kingdom with the world, seeking first the kingdom. That's what it means. It means how can I share the kingdom with the people in my, in my home, in my school, in my job, everywhere I go, I am seeking first the kingdom of God, sharing with people this future reality of God's full redemption of this world. And so let me ask you, is the kingdom of God first in your family? First, seek it first in your family. Is the kingdom of God first when you're planning your next move? When you're dreaming about what's next, you're like, I want to live here, and I want to go there, and I want to, you know, I want to move over here someday. You know, when you're thinking about moving, or you're like, I just want to stay here, is the kingdom of God first in your location? Is he first as you plan what's next? Is he first in your budget? When you budget your finances, is the kingdom of God first as you look at it? You're like, yes, I am seeking first the kingdom of God, showing to the world around me that God saves how about as you organize your time? Is the kingdom of God first? As you organize your day? How do you plan your day? When you look back tonight at today, did you say the kingdom of God was first? And then tomorrow, when you look back at your Monday, was the kingdom of God first? So we have to ask ourselves, are we seeking first the kingdom of God? This is why division and gossip and disunity and unforgiveness are so damaging. Because as much as you preach a sermon every time you forgive somebody, you also preach a sermon when you don't forgive them. You preach a sermon about this different reality, something that isn't true about God. And the world is watching us, church. 
And they are learning things about our Father as they look at us. So what are you preaching? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? And is that the peop- what the people around you see? Number two, listen for direction. Listen for direction. This means a couple things. Like I said earlier, this means being, being people who are in the word. If you want to know the direction of God, want to know his desires, we have to know his word. We have to read it. We have to hear it. You guys have to come here on Sunday morning. We'll talk about it. You have to be in life groups through the week and wrestle with it. You have to open it up in the mornings. Start your day off with it. Be in the word. And that's going to help you to know God's will for your life. Also, being a person of prayer, being a person who is listening to God's voice through the day. Not somebody who's got so much noise in their life that they can't hear what's, what God's trying to say to them. Earlier in this chapter, James says, you, you don't have because you don't ask. Which everybody loves that part of the verse. And it's like, sweet, I just have to ask. And then I'm going to get. But then it says right after that, you don't have because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Yeah, James, he's hard. What is your motivation for seeking God's will? When, you're, when, you, when you ask that question, what is God's will for my life? What is his will for my school? What is his will for my family? Whatever it may be, what is your motivation? Is it to make your life easier? Is it to avoid pain? Is it to spend it on your passions? Or is it what we just said, seeking first the kingdom of God? And when you seek first the kingdom of God, you can hear his voice in new ways. You might think, well, what does it sound like to hear God's voice? What does it sound like to to know his direction if he's speaking it to you? I think sometimes it just sounds like wisdom from a friend. I think sometimes it sounds like a, a, a feeling or feels like a feeling in your spirit, a certain peace with something or certain discomfort with something. I think it sounds like the right scripture at the right time, you know? You know, on Facebook, when somebody shares that little scripture meme and you're like, oh, that is awesome. And it just strikes you because it was just the right thing at the right time. I think it looks like a lot of different things. So we want to be a people who hear God, who are following God and know his voice. Jesus says that. He says, my sheep will know my voice. And so it's kind of like this. Have you ever been at a store that's got two radio stations playing on different ends of the store? Oh, I'm a musician. It just kills me. I'm like, there's chords clashing and notes. Oh, it's just horrible. It tears me apart. I can't stand it. But if you stand in the middle, you get a little bit of, you know, it's like Taylor Swift over here and it's Garth Brooks. Or, you know, I don't know what it is. It's, it's two different songs going in different keys and it just sounds like a mess. It's just horrible. Very dissonant sounding in your head. And I feel like this is kind of how our lives are, that we're, we're always kind of standing in the middle here. And, and we've got these two tapes that are always playing in our heads. And the first tape sounds like this. You can have all of your passions and still have God. You can, you can have salvation and you can still serve yourself. You can have all of your desires. You can have everything that you want. You can have the American dream and you can have Jesus. And then there's this other tape playing that says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's the words of Jesus. Those are dissonant, right? Those don't work well together. And when they're both playing in your head, it builds confusion. And, and you, you just sit in gridlock, like, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. And here's what the life of a disciple is like. The life of a disciple is like walking over to that other side of the store. And as you walk over there towards that sound of Jesus saying, I am the only way. 
and the kingdom of God is better than anything you could ever seek on this world. As you walk that direction, you know what? The other music gets quieter. It just, it's like, the, it's like someone's turning down the volume on the stuff that isn't true. And I've just seen this in my own life, and it doesn't come by just saying, oh yeah, no, I trust you. It comes by actually stepping that way. If you think that following Jesus is a psychological game of if I can just block out that sound and I can, I can just trust this sound, you've, you've experienced. That doesn't work very well. It literally takes obedience and it takes steps. And pretty soon it's all you hear. And that sound is so clear that the other sound isn't even audible. And this is what we want to do as a church. We want to just follow Jesus and learn his voice. And the third is this, take responsibility. Take responsibility. This means to walk boldly in our choices. Once you have sought the kingdom, and then been a person who walks daily hearing God's voice, every step of your day, you're listening, you're hearing, you're, you're ready, you're ready in any moment for God to say, do this, go here. Here's what's happening in your life. You're ready at any moment to be convicted of sin, to go before God in repentance and confession. You're ready at any moment to share your faith with your friends, to invite them to church as God is calling you to do that. Then what you do is you just walk boldly. You just take responsibility. You take a step forward. Ephesians 5.17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, this is your responsibility part. He says, don't walk as a fool. Walk as someone who is wise, making the best use of your time. Because there is a day full of ways to mess this up. There's a day full of ways to waste your life. So instead of doing that, be wise. Choose the better things. Follow God's ways. And understand his will. I, uh, make sure you follow God, but resist blaming God. As it gets difficult, this is a tension. And I hear this a lot as it's like, we start to blame God as we experience op- opposition. And one thing we keep saying is, as you follow God, doesn't mean the road's going to be clear and clean. It just, just means that you're going to be in his will. It just means that you're going to be obedient to him. It doesn't mean it's going to be pain-free. In fact, it might be more pain. But resist blaming God or using him as, as an excuse. I remember back in high school, uh, this, this girl I was dating, she was in my youth group, and she came up to me in the hallway this one day, and she goes, she goes, Brian, uh, God told me to break up with you. <laughs> oh, which is just horrible. Like, why couldn't you just break up with me? Not God told you. Like, the third person of the Trinity took a break from pointing people to Jesus so that he could tell you to break up with me. Like, like just, ah, like, Jesus broke up with me at school today. It's just, it hurts, you know? God told me to break up with you. And I don't know, maybe he did. Maybe she got this. Or maybe she just walked forward and said, ah, this isn't right for me. This isn't what I'm supposed to do. And this is an interesting thing, you know. I mean, it it just, it can be so confusing. Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom, listen for direction, and take responsibility. Because here's the truth. You're going to make a lot of bad decisions. I'm going to make a lot of bad decisions. We together, oftentimes, will make decisions that place us outside of the will of God. And in that moment, we can start to see life as pretty dim, 
and pretty gloomy. And we can start to see life as this road with like one exit. And that one exit says the will of God. And then you, boom, you pass it, right? And then it's like, well, I guess I missed that opportunity. And so then we spend the rest of our lives feeling as if we are not in God's will. Just trying to fix it, but feeling hopeless. But here's the deal. What we see in Jesus coming to earth, what, what he preaches to us is that nothing that you can do can outdo the work of God. No sin, no, nothing that you can do can, can, is bigger than Jesus coming to earth for you. He is a sign that God will do anything it takes to reconcile you to himself. That's what Jesus does. And so we need to know that life doesn't have just one exit for the will of God. Life is an endless uh, list of exits. exits. It's, it's endless opportunities that God places before us to enter into his will. And, and that, there's so much peace in that, knowing that if you messed it up, if you made a bad decision that one time a long time ago, God's going to give you new opportunities. That the second that we submit to his will, that we, that we seek the kingdom, that we trust in what he says about us, we enter right back into the will of God. And we can be at peace with God. So you have not done anything too bad. You've not, not gone too far away for God. He is with you and he wants you to be in his will today. So I don't know what it is that as you look back at your life that you know you saw this divergence. You said that was not God's plan for me. But he has redemption for you today. And all it takes is a moment to find peace with God. It just takes a moment to be back in the will of God. And if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus, or maybe you're like, yeah, Brian, uh, this is for everyone else, but it's not really for me. Again, the truth of Jesus is that he came for the sins of the world and that he wants you. And this whole faith thing, this whole Christianity thing is for you. And all it takes is a second for you to realize that his way is the way. And to trust that Jesus gives you peace with God and to receive that today and to enter into his will. And I want that for us as a church. And so could we just pray that together? Father, I pray we would be a movement of people smack dab in the middle of your will. God, we have made mistakes. We have rebelled against what you've called us to do. God, we have walked our own way. And I just see that in my life, God, so many times that I've chosen my own way and just thought it was better. And Father, I just, I ask today that we could receive the truth that you're calling to us. That in a, in a moment, we can enter back in to your will. Father, I pray we'd receive the truth that, that no, nothing can keep us from your love. Nothing that we do can take us out of your love. And that as we trust in you, God, we can walk at peace with you. We're so grateful for you today, God. I, I just pray we could walk boldly in freedom in this next season as we, as we seek the kingdom, as we listen to your direction, God, and as we walk forward, taking responsibility, God, could we just walk in boldness and freedom and in peace? And God, when we trip and we mis make a mistake and we screw it up, God, we are just, we're just gonna give you all the more praise as you redeem that broken situation. We love you, we pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Thanks.